Thank you guys so much. Good morning. It's so good to be with all of you today. I'm really excited to be a part of this service as we jump back into the series Pure. I know you guys took a break from Song of Songs last week, but this week we're going to look at it again and we're going to see what we can learn from this conversation between Solomon and his beloved. And as you've been going through this series, you've been looking at this thing that we see woven throughout the Song of Songs, this idea of bringing passion into your relationships and doing the hard work of keeping that passion alive. What we're going to look at this week is a key component to any passionate relationship, and that is intimacy. Intimacy matters to each one of us. No matter where we might be in terms of romantic relationships, we can experience intimacy. It can happen in a variety of ways, and it can even happen in the greatest relationship of all, because God himself is inviting each one of us into an intimate relationship with him. Our response to his invitation determines the degree to which we're able to experience a truly deep and personal relationship with him or with someone around us. But if we're going to talk about intimacy this morning, we need to define what it is so we can all get on the same page. Well, intimacy is defined as a close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person or group. Close, familiar, and loving personal relationships sound great, don't they? That's how, most of us would say that that's what we want. We want to be deeply known by someone and to deeply know someone. We would like that with God also. We want to have a real and vulnerable relationship that allows us to experience the true intimacy that we see in Song of Songs between Solomon and his beloved. But interestingly enough, even though most of us say that that's something that we would long for, a majority of us do not experience intimacy on a regular basis. Often our friendships, our relationships with our spouses or people in our small groups, sometimes even with God himself, it all just kind of hovers at surface level. But why is that? If intimacy is something that we all want, why is it that we don't experience it? I think it's because real intimacy, true love, is actually scary. Being vulnerable enough with someone in order to experience intimacy is going to require taking a risk. Song of Songs 8.6 says it this way. The Shulamite woman is talking, and she says, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Love burns like fire. And as Rich has been sharing with you, that fire can be passion. And we need to work hard at keeping that going. But what's interesting about fire is it can actually go two ways. It can be great. It can bring us warmth and save us from the cold, literally saving our life. Or it can burn us and harm us. The Shulamite woman says here, love and intimacy are as strong as death. Instead of bringing life, it's bringing death. So that's our risk. If we put ourselves out there, will this bring life or will this bring death? It's really risky to put your real true self out into the world for someone else to see. And so because of that, instead of experience intimacy, Rather than just engaging in it, we tend to respond in one of three ways. We either hide from it, we wait for it, or we pursue it, or at least something like it. And I want to start this morning by talking about hiding. In chapter one, the Shulamite woman says this. She says, should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? 
She's asking if she needs to hide who she is. She's saying, do I have to cover my true self in order to be accepted? The interesting thing about that is a lot of us don't actually say those words. We don't actually say, do I need to veil myself? Do I need to cover myself? We just do it. It's actually really easy to put on a veil and hide anymore. There are photo filters on every social media platform that can make it look like our skin is better than it actually is or that our eyes aren't as tired as they actually feel today. And if you hold your phone just right and take that picture, you're going to look 10 to 15 pounds lighter than you actually are. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and it's really, really interesting because we can actually present ourselves as we are not. We can present ourselves as being happier or more confident or more put together than we actually feel on any given day. Our contemporary culture encourages us to only post most carefully chosen moments, our best images of ourselves. And if you do post selfies, you do know that because no one ever puts up the first one that they, they take. You put up like the hundredth one after you got that angle just right. And when we see or post pictures that are highly edited and filtered, we shouldn't be surprised when, by extension, we live lives that are highly edited and filtered. And even if we're not active on social media, we don't get a pass, we still cover ourselves up. It's hard to admit our sin to our small group. It's hard to admit we got in the worst fight ever in the car on the way to church, even though that's always where the worst fight ever occurs. We don't want to be seen as that one person who's struggling. We don't want to be seen as that one person who sins. We are afraid of what everyone's going to think of us. And so we don't put it out there because we're afraid of getting burned. And this pattern of covering ourselves up and filtering our lives, it actually started all the way back in the beginning of humanity in the Garden of Eden. And the story's recorded in the book of Genesis. And we see that just after God created Adam and Eve, they were hanging out in this amazing garden. It sounds like a place I really want to be. And they were completely naked, which is, naked's not a word I thought I'd use when I was preaching, but I did. So they were naked, and they're hanging out with God, and it was great. And they had this wonderful, intimate relationship with him. And then they had a choice to sin or not, and they chose to sin. And when they did that, they actually took a step away from intimacy with God. In chapter 3 of Genesis, it says this, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Our fear of being naked with others or with God, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, actually began for all of humanity in the Garden of Eden. As soon as Adam and Eve realized they had sinned instantly, they felt that they had to cover themselves and hide. Who they were, just as they were, no longer felt safe enough to be put on display. Hiding and covering became the norm with Adam and Eve, and it is still the norm for us today. Being completely open with God or with others doesn't feel safe because we don't feel worthy of it. We are so aware of our own sin, we fear that we have to hide it. We have to risk being seen as unlovable. And more than that, our culture has also told us that admitting our struggles is weak. We think that by keeping it all inside, we're being strong and we're being brave. And that's what I try to do. And I try to do it with God. And I try to do it with my husband. And I try to do it with other close friends and with my coworkers. I push toward perfectionism. And I set high expectations for myself. 
I don't ask for help when I need it. I don't easily admit my struggles when I pray. When someone asks how I am, I'm usually fine, so I can just keep going. I try to prove my, my worth. I try to get love and intimacy by being safe and covered. But the more that I do this, and the more that we do this, the more skilled we become at hiding from God and from others, we're actually damaging our souls. Dr. Brene Brown says, understanding the difference between healthy striving and perfectionism is critical. Research shows that perfectionism hampers success. In fact, it's often the path to depression, anxiety, addiction, and life paralysis. Isn't that interesting that we think that we're being strong, but living a hidden life is actually hurting us? And it's hurting us because we were created for relationships that were intimate. And that's how all of humanity began. And when we cover up, we're actually missing out. But God doesn't want us to miss out. The God who created us wants us to take the risks involved in being intimate. And while we have a hard time believing it, the most perfect and holy one of all, the one that didn't sin, is safe enough enough for us to admit every fear and failure and sin to him. We can be completely vulnerable and completely safe with God at the same time. Solomon's father David wrote this in Psalm 62, 8. He said, trust him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. David understood that if we would offer all that our hearts contain to God, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly, that instead of shunning us, God would rescue us. We can freely offer our deepest parts of ourselves to God because he doesn't want harm for us at all. He wants to be our rescuer. And he longs to have an intimate relationship with us. As my friend Melanie would say, God wants us to be naked with the lights on. And if we stand before him and offer all that we are, trusting him to rescue us, he's going to be faithful to do that. And then we will be able to experience true intimacy with him. An intimate relationship where all parts of ourselves are known and loved. When I have chosen to embrace my imperfections and stop trying to do everything myself and have taken off my veils and stood before God, I have experienced true intimacy that could never be described. When I have hard conversations with my husband and I admit my struggles to him, our relationship actually grows more intimate. Even though I get tempted time and time again to cover myself back up, I know that the reward of intimacy is worth the risk and the hard work. Every one of us is imperfect, and every one of us struggles, but every single one of us is radically loved by God and can stand before him stripped bare but unashamed, worthy of experiencing the most intimate of all relationships. Hiding is not our only response to intimacy. Melanie is going to come up and share with us another way that we sometimes respond. I, there we go. I've actually yet to meet a person who enjoys waiting. I am really bad at waiting. Patience is not one of my virtues. But 
Waiting seems to be a part of all of our experience. We wait in lines, we wait for our coffee, we wait for food, we wait to make a return. Ladies, you'll appreciate this. We wait in line for the bathroom. Men, you get a pass, and we feel the injustice of this. <laughs> but there are other things that we wait for that are a little harder. We wait for the phone to finally ring or that text to come. We wait for test results and diagnoses. We wait for answers. And we wait for healing. We wait for apologies. We wait for forgiveness. We wait for people to change. We wait to get picked, to be noticed, to be seen, and to be loved. We wait for babies to be born, for people to come home. And we wait for those that we love the most to pass from this world to the next. We wait for a reprieve from pain, sometimes for unbearable grief to pass, and it seems like we are always waiting for this world to change. There's a saying, good things come to those who wait. Is that actually true? Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes good things do come to those who wait. Sometimes we wait and bad things happen. Sometimes we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and that thing that we want the most, that we've waited for the longest, actually never comes to pass. So when I was thinking about this, I looked up the saying. It actually comes from a French poem from the late 1800s, and this is what it actually says. This is where that saying comes from. Ah, all, all things come to those who wait. I say these words to make me glad. But something answers soft and sad. They do come, but they often come too late. I think that this actually can be closer to our experience with waiting. Nevertheless, we all have to deal with it. It's a part of the human experience. But what if how we wait actually matters more than what we're waiting for? What if there's a kind of waiting or a way of waiting that regardless of what we're waiting for, it's actually a doorway to intimacy? Like Julie said, intimacy is scary. It's frightening because it holds that space where we feel most exposed, where we feel most vulnerable, where we are seen as we are right here, right now, not as we think we should be. Some of my deepest regrets actually come from this wrong kind of waiting. Now, it was wrapped up in a legitimate need, that, that need to be seen and known, unedited and unfiltered. But it seemed like there was a season in my life where I was always waiting. It was like I was holding my breath, waiting to become someone else, waiting to become something else, that person that I thought I was always on the verge of becoming, or maybe waiting for someone or something outside of myself to change so that finally, finally, I could live that life that I thought that I would have. In my head, it seemed like I was always one step away. But through all the waiting, day after day after day, waiting and waiting, my life was actually passing me by. I was so hyper-focused, hyper-tuned into what I was waiting for, 
that I actually gave no thought to how I was waiting. From another book that Solomon wrote, the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. I think that this verse says that this wrong kind of waiting, it actually creates this futility. Uh, it creates a hopelessness. It actually grinds on our souls. It literally makes our hearts sick. So what are we going to do? If intimacy is one of our greatest desires, God put it in us. We all need it. We all long for it, whether we're in touch with it or not. And yet it feels risky, it feels exposing, it's, it feels scary. It puts us in a bind. And I think that a lot of us live in that bind on a daily basis. So what do we do? Well, I'd like to talk to you just briefly about my relationship with my dad. I love my dad. Love my dad. As a kid, I, I think more than anyone else, I just wanted to be near him. I physically wanted to be near him. One of my favorite things to do was to cuddle up on the couch and watch Star Trek with him. And I'm talking the old Star Trek, um, the William Shatner ones. <laughs> um, I just so wanted to experience his love and his nearness and his approval. And to the degree that my dad could love someone, I really believe that he loved me. But honestly, this is the relationship where I have done most of that wrong kind of waiting in my life. I've spent the better part of my life waiting for my dad to become someone he simply wasn't able to become. To give me something that he just didn't have inside of him to give. He wasn't intentionally holding out. It wasn't like he could and he just didn't want to be bothered. That is not true. My dad and I talked about this many times over the years, and it, it was always such a painful conversation, and he always seemed at such a loss. So I talked to God. That makes sense, right? I talked to God. I said, God, please change my dad's heart. Please repair what's broken. Help him to see and to know how to respond to me and my mom and my brother. Over the years, I, I prayed, I cried out, I begged God, I negotiated. God, if you do X, I'll do Y. In fact, if you do one X, I'll do two Ys. I will do more than my part here, God. My dad actually died while I was still waiting. That was it. He was gone that thing that I wanted from him the most wasn't going to happen. I was really angry with God when that happened. I had prayed. I had cried out. I had begged. I had promised. I had negotiated. I had followed all of the rules. I'd spent a lifetime waiting my dad but what I hadn't done certainly not with the same degree of hope and fervor and desire I actually had not waited on God now what I don't mean is I hadn't waited on 
God to deliver because I'd done plenty of that. But what I hadn't done was wait for God himself, like his actual presence. Remember Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Well, there's another verse, actually it's Psalm 40, and it was written by Solomon's dad, King David. And it, it's, it's a bit sort of the opposite of that verse in Proverbs. Here's what the beginning of the psalm says. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. So, no surprise, most of my relationship with God also had been about waiting for the wrong things. I've been waiting for God to change my circumstances, the circumstances uh, outside of me or relationships outside of me. That was where most of my focus was. And I, I actually don't mean this in a self-condemning way. I believe that, that, that asking God over and over was tied back to that legitimate need for intimacy, to know and to be known, unedited and unfiltered. But, but here's what was complicating things. I, I was actually operating from a state of shoulds. And let me tell you what I mean by that when I say shoulds. We all walk around with stories in our head about ourselves, about others, even about God. And sometimes the story can start something like this. Well, I should be able to fill in the blank. My husband should. My kids should. My pastor should. My boss should. My dad should. My mom should. We even think God should. Shoulds aren't real. And when we operate from a state of shoulds, it actually, it actually obscures the very message that God is wanting to give each one of us, that he wants to meet that need for intimacy first. And here's the thing. God's the one who can actually pull it off, and he can pull it off completely. He's the one person that we don't have to fear being vulnerable and exposed with. He loves us for who we were. He loves us for who we are. And he loves us for who we're becoming. His love doesn't change. His love is not fickle. When I learned to wait for God himself, not for something that I needed from him, but for his very presence, it actually changed what I waited for and how I waited. By allowing God to meet that need for intimacy first. And here's what, here's what I didn't anticipate. So I had this need for intimacy, and when I allowed God to meet it, I thought, that's great. But here's actually what happened as a result of that. By allowing God to meet me in that place first, it actually allowed me to come to terms with and truly accept things about myself and about those in my life that I love so much, it allowed me to accept things that honestly, no matter how long I waited, they most likely weren't going to change. God gave me a peace. He allowed me to come to terms with the life I'd been given. And, and when I say 
peace, when I say acceptance, when I say come to terms with, I don't mean, um, okay, fine, I give up. This is as good as it's going to get. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop whining about this. I'm going to say, okay, which is a bad place to live from, right? I mean, who wants to abdicate, give up just their life and say this is as good as it's going to get? No, actually, God gave me the ability to really say yes and embrace the life I've been given. The really great stuff, the really hard stuff, and the stuff in the middle. I just wish that I'd been able to do this before my dad had died. And I think one of my greatest regrets is that because I wasn't able to do this, I actually missed out on the relationship that I could have had with my dad that would have been real and true. Well, after a time when I was able to lift up and out of the 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 grief of losing my dad and even coming to terms with the loss of what could have been with us, to my horror, I looked around and realized that I had recreated that same dynamic in most of the relationships in my life. And I tell you what, once I saw it, I did not shrink back. I mean, right? My dad died. There were no more chances. I determined I will not. I will not waste my life. I will not waste my relationships waiting for what I think should be. God himself would meet me in that place of need. He was the good thing that I would wait for. His grace was and is sufficient. The good news is that he promises to show up time after time after time. And by allowing God in that deepest space that only he could occupy, Honestly, it transformed all my relationships around me, especially those closest to me. Allowing people in my life to show up as is. It's who I am. Can you love me for who I am? So, if you were to take one thing home from the last ten minutes, I would ask that you would hear this. You've all been given a life. You've been given one life. Don't waste it. Don't waste it waiting for the wrong thing. Don't waste it living from a place of shoulds. Say yes to the life you've been given. And I understand for some of you that that may feel really hard right now. But I am telling you, it's the only life you had. And when we say yes to the hard as well as the beautiful and we don't live false lives, we don't live in a place of should, that is the very place that God meets us and gives us what we need. I finally, finally did wait for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. In Song of Songs, chapter 2, Solomon calls to his beloved as God is calling to all of us every day. Here's what it says. Arise, my love, my beautiful one. Come away. Look, the winter rains have passed. The spring rains have come and gone. The blossoms appear on the earth. And the time for singing 
has come. As Angel comes to wrap up our message, I want you to ask yourself sincerely, am I waiting for God or am I waiting for something else? So throughout the text in the Song of, song of Songs, we see that invitation to intimacy and in parts, we see the beloved hiding, and in other parts, we see the beloved waiting. And often, we see the beloved pursuing intimacy. Song of Songs 3, 1 through 3 says, All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loved. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? The Shulamite woman, she was not passive in this relationship. She's not just waiting for the one her heart loves to come and find her. She just doesn't, she doesn't settle for whatever they can fit in their schedule. And you know what else she doesn't do? She doesn't hold back for fear that if she goes in search of him, he might not be as into her as she is into him. Instead, she boldly goes in search of him. And the text paints this picture that she's, you know, going up and down the streets. I, I, I imagine her, like, looking up and down the alleys and peeking through windows. And, I mean, at one point it even says that she stops the police to ask them if they have seen the one her heart loves. Now, that's pretty desperate, right? She is intent on making that connection. And as it turns out, if we want to experience true intimacy in our relationship with God or with anyone else, we are going to have to have just as much tenacity as the Shulamite woman. We can't merely go about our life and hope that somehow intimacy happens. Instead, we have to pursue it. Now, here's the good news. As Melanie and Julie said, we're actually hardwired for intimacy. We are built for intimacy. And we know this because the Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. And God is a triune God, three in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're all working together in perfect unity and perfect harmony. There isn't a better of picture of intimacy than that. And we know that we are created in God's image. So then it makes perfect sense that we are created with a longing towards intimacy. But as Julie said, even though we desire this intimacy, so often we hide from it. Or like Melanie said, we wait. We wait to pursue intimacy until we have it all together or until someone else becomes what we think they should be or until we're sure that we're not going to get hurt in the process. We hide and we wait for the wrong things because the vulnerability that's required for true intimacy, it's scary. We've talked about that. But as scary as it is, it is absolutely worth the risk. Not with every person, not all the time, but with a few of the right, carefully chosen people and definitely, definitely with God. So what does it look like to pursue intimacy with God? To pursue a relationship with God where you feel truly connected. 
where where you sense his presence in your life and where you seek him, not just in desperation, because most of us are pretty good at that, but where we seek him in the, in the good and in the hard and just in the ordinary. Interestingly, I think sometimes when we first decide, okay, I'm going to pursue intimacy with God, we look a lot like the Shulamite woman. We look a bit desperate, maybe even a bit frantic. We, we show up for church every time the doors are open. We sign up for small groups. We decide to get connected in service. We start initiating conversations with anyone who we think has the magic formula to figuring out how to get connected with God. And the thing is, None of those activities are bad. In fact, they're all really good and very useful. They can really help us grow in our faith and our knowledge of God. But the problem is intimacy doesn't happen when we know about God. Intimacy happens when we know God, really know him. And honestly, we can get so busy with godly activities that we leave little time in our life for God himself. And then we're disappointed because despite all of our striving, all of our showing up, all of our doing, we still just don't quite feel connected with him in the way that we wish we did. Uh, A couple years ago, my husband Kevin and I were a little frustrated in our relationship. If you're married and in this room, I'm sure you've never experienced that, but you know. Uh, we, we were a bit frustrated. We had a new baby. We had a couple more kids at home. Each one of us had new responsibilities at work. To tell you the truth, we were accomplishing more together than we ever had before. When it came to being productive as a married couple, we were checking those boxes. But the busier we got, the less connected that we felt. And we knew it was important that we feel connected. And so we made an attempt to course correct. We we reinstituted family night, and we agreed that we would cut back on some of our extra activities, and we reorganized how we got work done at home and who would do what and when. And to tell you the truth, my husband, he made the most changes of all. So imagine how frustrating it would be when despite the fact that he's um, doing half as many activities, cooking dinner twice as many nights, and discovering cleaners he didn't know existed, I still didn't quite feel like we were connecting. And the problem wasn't our commitment to each other. The problem wasn't our desire to connect. The problem was we tried to fix our marriage as if it were some sort of business. Essentially, we redid the org chart and we reallocated our resources. We even reinstituted date night, which mostly consisted of going to dinner and talking about our to-do list. Can I get an amen? Right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's mostly how it went. You know, but what we didn't do is make more time to just be with each other, to laugh, to play, to hang out, to just be, to set aside the to-do list and all of the problems to be solved, and all of the responsibilities to be shared, and just show up as two people. And I think that's often what happens with us and God. We try all kinds of activities to feel more connected to him, but we fail to make the time to just be with God. Pursuing intimacy with God is not so much about doing as it is about being. Being with God. 
So going to church once a week is not going to help you feel that deep connection you're looking for any more than an hour a week on a date talking about your to-do list is going to help you feel connected to your spouse. It's actually important. It's necessary. It's valuable. But in and of itself, it is not enough. Instead, our deep abiding connection with God, it really comes when we establish a rhythm of spending time with him. Now, there's lots of ways to spend time with God. Some people like to spend time with God by going on a walk in nature. Some people love to hike. Some people love to worship. Others love to pray. And that works if we listen and talk and not just bring our to-do list. Usually the problem isn't knowing what to do. It's making the time to do it. Because here's the deal. God is showing up to spend time with you every single day. And the only question is whether or not we will show up to spend time with him. Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13 says, Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So what would it look like for you to seek God with all of your heart this week? I know for me, it has to start with making time. If I just hope to carve out some time for God this week, I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. Work and kids and life and family and let's face it, TV shows and other activities, they will drown him out. Before you know it, the tyranny of the urgent has taken up all the time. And once again, you go to sleep at night thinking it would have been kind of cool to spend some time with God today. So for me to spend time with God this week, I'm going to have to take a page from the Shulamite woman. I'm going to have to be tenacious and determined to spend time with the one my heart loves. Perhaps you can relate. Maybe for you it's about carving out that time and protecting it fiercely. Or maybe you already have a lot of time in your life for God, but you become so busy doing things with God or doing things for God that you've forgotten how to just be with God. What if we set aside even 10 minutes a day this week to just show up and be with God, not to handle our business, not to bring him our prayer requests, but just to be, just to seek him. And here's the thing. The verses in Jeremiah 29, they don't just tell us to seek God. They tell us to seek him with all of our heart. So then we have to ask the question, can I seek God with all of my heart? Or are there pieces of my heart that I'm holding back from him just a little? That might come in the form of an ungodly relationship that we just don't want him to speak into. Or maybe it's because of we have a love of money and we want to pursue more, have more, be more, achieve more. Sometimes it's an idol. Idols aren't just little carved images. Idols are the things that we set up as more important than God. So it might be the game you can't give up, the show you have to watch, the dream that you pursue harder than you pursue God, or that one more project that just has to get finished first. What would it look like for you to set aside whatever that is that's taking a piece of your heart so that you could truly seek God with all of your heart? 
Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. God is knocking. And pursuing God, it starts with just opening the door and making the time to be with him. So as we wrap up today, I'd ask you to consider where do you find yourself in intimacy with God? Are you hiding? Perhaps you're waiting for the wrong things, or maybe, maybe you're pursuing. Know this. God desires an intimate relationship with you, a close, loving, personal relationship. He sees you, he knows you, and he loves you right where you're at, just as you are, naked with the lights on, as Melanie says. So if we're hiding, then I want to challenge us to take off those veils. Put them down. The truth is, our veils, they don't really hide us from God. But sometimes, they make it really hard for us to see him clearly. If we get real with God, I promise you this, you will not scare him away. Psalm 139.1 says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. He knows us and he likes us. Our masks, they're not hiding anything. And if you're waiting for the wrong things, waiting until you get your act just a little more together, waiting until they become that person they should be, or waiting until you're sure that you're not going to get hurt if you risk vulnerability, then I want to encourage you to stop waiting. Stop waiting while life passes you by. Instead, begin to wait on God, not for what God can do to fix the situation, but just for God himself. Because when you do, you will find that he is faithful. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. God wants to meet that most deep need to be fully known and completely loved. And if you're pursuing intimacy with God, then just be sure you're looking in the right places. Remember that intimacy with God comes more from being with him than from doing. So create space in your life to just be with God and free your heart with, from distractions so that you can truly seek him and find him when you seek him with all of your heart. Let's pray. God, wherever we find ourselves today, we ask that you would meet us right where we're at. God, for those of us who feel a deep personal connection with you. Thank you, God. We praise you. We know that you're a pursuing God, that we wouldn't have, have achieved that if it weren't for you chasing after us. God, help us to continue to love you back. For those of us who are hiding in our relationship with you or in our relationship with others, God, would you give us the courage to risk authenticity? Would you remind us that we are fully known and completely loved by you, and would that knowledge help us to find our identity in you? Not in how good we are or how good we aren't, but in how loved we are by you. God, we pray today for the relationships represented in this room where one or both people are waiting for the other person to be something they aren't. 
whether those relationships are between a husband and a wife or a parent and a child or some other important connection, God, would you help us to pray the right prayers and to wait for the right thing? Instead of waiting for the other person, would you help us to wait for you? Would you help us to allow you to show up and to meet our deepest needs? And very practically, Lord, would you help us to make time for you? God, we, we know that you want to be with us. You, the creator of the universe, look forward to spending time with us. So help us to show up. Help us to make space in our life to connect with you. Not to get something done or to ask for something we need, but just to spend time with the one our heart loves. God, intimacy feels risky, but you are faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.